There is nothing, nothing, nothing like the love of God. Amen. His love for us is beyond compare. Glory to Jesus. We serve an awesome God. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. We are in chapter 3. The book of Ephesians chapter 3, when you have it, say so. We begin reading in verse 1. It says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it is as it has now been revealed by the spirit of his holy by the spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power to me whom less than the least of all saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your truth that sets us free, God. Thank you for all that you do, Lord God. Thank you for all that you have done. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here with us now. God, I pray that in these next few moments as I share from your word, God, that you would speak to the hearts of my brothers and sisters, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself unto them in a greater way, Lord God. And above everything else, I pray that our hearts would be changed, that we would be more like you, and that we would live, Lord God, from the truth of your word, not just with a knowledge of the truth, but a life that reflects that truth, Lord God. I pray these things believing, and I ask you this all in Jesus' good name. Someone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand. We want to make sure that you get one. If you don't have an outline, keep it up so the ushers can see you and they'll come to you. Can we give our youth a hand of praise? They're serving today. We thank you for your service. Glory to God. Praise the name of Jesus. The reason why we have these outlines, and again, I want to reiterate this every week that I have the opportunity to do so, it is because we discuss the sermons in our small groups, and so it is very important to me, number one, that you have the outline so you can take notes for yourself on a personal level, but it is also important to us as a church that you do get connected with your brothers and sisters, that way you'll be able to be challenged, that you'll be able to ask questions, interact, that you'll be able to pray with other people and have people praying for you as God deals with us as a church, and so 
very important if you are not part of a connect group that you do see Pastor Chad. He is sitting in the back. He is the pastor who led communion. He's got his hand waving for you in case you don't know who he is. If you're not part of a connect, please see him. And so we are in the book of Ephesians, and we are going through this walk-worthy series. And so our scripture memory verse is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now, if you haven't memorized, I want to encourage you to raise your hand, just real quick, raise your hand. If you haven't memorized, raise it up, keep it up high, glory to God, all right? I, I, I want to, I, I, the reason why I said encourage, glory to God, because the rest of us that don't have our hands up, we're going to learn it, amen? We're going to get it down, glory to God. But as every week, um, I ask if there's anyone who hasn't memorized who would like to share it, and we have a very special guest that is going to come up here, and he is going to share this verse, and that is Isaiah Reyes. Come on, Isaiah. Right, sir. Glory to God. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling of which you are called. With love, suffering, bearing with none another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. <laughs> That was good. That was good. What? 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 And that, listen, that ain't fair. They have a Lee. We we gonna step it up on them, bro. They got a they got a printer in their group. Listen, I'm just saying they they took it to another level up in here. They got a banner for Jesus. Glory to God. It's a new ministry. Banners for Jesus. Hallelujah. That is awesome. 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 Praise the name of Jesus. That was good. That was good. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> that was a good comeback, I have to say. Glory to God. That was tight work. Amen. Amen. Give him a hand. That was good stuff, right? See, that, that, that to me is what, you know... In part, you know, we're playing around, you know, there's, we're, we're really not competing in this sense with each other, I guess, maybe, I don't know. Some people may be, I guess, hallelujah. Anyway, we're we, we going to have a meeting in our Connect this Tuesday. We're going to see what we do next. We're going to do some backflips or something like that as we say it. But nonetheless, I mean, ultimately, huh? <laughs> we're going to wrap it, okay. Um, but ultimately... That's, that's why Connect is awesome, because you see, you get to get together, have a good time, learn some scripture, challenge one another, and so, very encouraging. I'm very encouraged by what you guys did today. That was a good fake out. Isaiah did a great job, man. Come on, give him a hand. He, was, he played his part. He actually stood there, and he was like, y'all going to come? What's up? He like, he, like a pause. Like, they took, like, all right, glory to his name. That was awesome, man. Good job. So let's say it together, everyone together. Say it with me. Ready? Here we go. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Amen. So let's, let's, let's just, you know, continue memorizing that. We're going to continue in our series here today, and today's message is entitled, You're Included. You're included. And so when we look at the scripture that we're reading here in chapter 3, if you look at your outline, you can read it along with me. I thought this was pretty interesting and interesting and very true. As a preacher, I can tell you I have never, 
and all of my time preached from Ephesians chapter 3, especially these particular verses. And so if you look at your outline here, R.C. Sproul, he said this in his commentary on the book of Ephesians in dealing with chapter 3. He says this. He says, the bulk of Ephesians chapter 3 is comprised of material that one almost never hears sermons preached from in our day, except for those who are preaching through the book, which is what I'm doing, and cannot avoid the subject matter that is found here. The central theme of the third chapter is the importance of the role of the Gentiles. And if, you, and if you're, you're, you're there in your notes, you can just underline that. The importance of the role of the Gentiles. In the early church, in the early Christian community, and is directly related to the special commission that God gave Paul in his apostolic ministry. The reason why we rarely hear sermons from the third chapter of Ephesians is that in the 20th century, it is universally taken for granted without any dispute or controversy that the Christian church is open to people from all different nationalities and ethnic backgrounds. And so understand this, when we're looking at the book of Ephesians chapter 3, and even last week, and you know, and, and we've been dealing with this adoption, remember we talked about that tension that is there, you know, that there, that there were Jewish people who became Christians and they became followers of Jesus, and because of where they were born, because of who they were born to, they felt like they had a right to be Christians, or they had a right to be Christ followers, and if you remember when we went through the book of Acts, there was also a dispute that rose up, where there was some people who went to places where the gospel had been preached and what he was doing what they were doing was they were telling people that in order for them to be saved they had to be circumcised in other words it wasn't enough to put your faith in Jesus you had to put your faith in Jesus plus something else and so the tension that's there, when we read through these, the scriptures in the book of Ephesians, I mean in the book of Acts, and you find that this dispute or this, you know, contention that was there was addressed, and then we seem to think, you know, in our minds, we're like not thinking about it any longer. But obviously, when you look at the book of Ephesians, what you find is the apostle Paul is addressing this tension. And so chapter 3 begins to talk about some stuff that is very important, and as I said, underlining the importance of the role of the Gentiles. And I like the last line of R.C. Sproul because he said, it is universally taken for granted without any dispute or controversy that the Christian church is open to people from all different nationalities and ethnic backgrounds. And so we forget, we don't even think about how, how, how awesome it is to be included in God's plan. How awesome. See, that's the reason why when I preach, I try to point out the awesomeness of Jesus. As I was, you know, putting the song list together for this morning, I wanted to make sure, and I try to do this every week when I, when I do that, I want to make sure that we make much of Jesus. That we make much of Almighty God because it really is all about Him. And when we understand that, we live our lives differently. When we understand that, we act differently. Things change inside of our lives when it really is all about Jesus. When it really is all about His glory, all about His honor. And when we realize how great, how magnificent, how awesome God is, and then we realize that we have been included in His family, that should leave us awestruck. That should leave us overwhelmed. And what happens is we forget about that because it becomes a norm in our lives. I'll give you a, little, a, quick, a quick story here. 
We are in the process. I told you last month, September was our um, deductible month, glory to God. And so October is our renovation month, hallelujah. And we are, you know, so we replaced the floors in our living room that were damaged due to the, due to, um, the water damage and stuff like that. And then, you know, my wife and I were like, well, you know, we've really been wanting to change out the carpet in our room. And so, you know, rather than, you know, be 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 just um, not frugal, I guess, right? I guess that would be a good way to put it, you know, and just try to just spend the most amount of money. We figured, you know, we'll go ahead and we'll be as good stewards as we can, figured out if we could afford it. So, you know, based on all of that, we're fixing our room. So what we had to do was in order to remove the, the carpet in your room, guess what you have to do? Remove all the furniture. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so last night as we removed all of, well, not all the furniture, but most of the furniture, but specifically our bed, you know, my wife has been telling me, she's like, man, we need to get rid of this carpet, get rid of this carpet. I'm like, babe, the carpet's fine. So anyway, when I get under the bed and I'm, and I'm vacuuming, I notice something. As I'm vacuuming under the bed, obviously it was filthy because that's just how it is, right? You got all this dust back there. It's crazy. Like, how did that all get back there? Because it's under the bed. Hello. No one sees it. But there's something else that's under the bed. It's with brand new carpet. <laughs> For 17 years, I've been walking around on this other carpet, and I forgot how amazing that other carpet was. I'm like, I said, I called my wife. She was doing something. I was like, babe, come here. And she's like, I'm like, step on this carpet. Like, like, even it feels different, right? I, and I had sneakers on and everything. It wasn't like I was walking barefooted, but I could feel the cushion that was in the carpet. It was amazing, right? And, and, I was, and I'm thinking, and I said to her, I said, man, this is a good illustration for tomorrow's sermon. And she's like, praise God. And the, and the thing is this, is that I'm walking around in this other carpet. I'm like, ah, oh, the carpet is okay. But I forgot how amazing that carpet was. When it, and, that, and because I forgot how amazing it was, I just got used to, like, walking around on this not-so-amazing carpet. That was just okay. And I want you to know Christianity is not just okay. Being a believer is not just okay. Being part of the family of God is not just okay. It's not just, a, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. No, no, no. You are a Christian. You were bought with holy blood. This amazing God came to this earth to die in your place. And the reason was because he wanted to make you his family, because he wanted to make you part of him. He didn't do it for any other reason, just because he is good, just because he is loving, just because he is gracious. And that's why we have to look at scriptures like Ephesians chapter 3 that we will say, and I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of stuff that would seem to be repetitive. But you know what I realize? When God repeats himself, and when I say God, I mean God, because God inspired Paul to write this the exact way that he did. And so when God inspires Paul to pen something, it is because it needs to be repeated. It needs to be thought about again. And can I tell you something? I love this. I forget where it was that I was at, but it was in, in, in a conversation and we were talking about, you know, the amazing things that God has done. And one thing that someone pointed out was, it was in our men's meeting, and someone pointed out, we were talking about how our lives are divine purpose. Our lives are not just coincidental, right? And what somebody said, it was Brother Raul, he was like, he said, man, he said, well, you got to understand, he said, is that God knew that we were going to be here talking about this story 2,000 years later. Now, I want you to get that for a moment because we think about these stories, we think about this inspiration, this book that is so old, but can I tell you something? The author of this book knew that we would be talking about this 2,000-something years later and that we would need to be reminded that, hey, it wasn't just a casual thing to be added to the family of God. 
It's something that we should privilege and we should be like, wow, God, I mean, really, God did this for us. And so looking at this, one of the greatest things and why this becomes so important for us as well in a practical way, in the second verse here, or in the second paragraph, one of the greatest struggles most people face while growing up is found in the question, where do I fit? And I say most people because some people, they were raised differently and they never seemed to have insecurities in their life. They knew exactly where they were going from the moment that, you know, they got out of diapers. Hello. Right? They had a trajectory in their lives. Their parents did a great job or whatever the case is. But most people, a lot of people that I know, they struggled with that, you know, especially during those teenage years. Where do I fit? You know, where do I belong? And, and what we see is the result of that is things that are a little bit tragic, and, and I think a lot tragic, because you see some people that end up committing suicide because they never get the answer to that question. We see some people who not only commit suicide, other people join gangs because they don't have an identity. They don't know where they fit. And so they figure, well, I live on the same block. Hello? That was me growing up as a kid, right? I lived down the block from these gangbangers. All the leaders of the gang lived up the street. Well, I'll tell you what they had. They had the nice low rider that I wanted. Hello? They had the sound system that I could hear all the way from their house, and I live up the block from them. Right? They had the dog. I, I like dogs at that time, glory to God, until I realized the work they are. Um, I still like dogs. I just don't. Anyway, y'all understand what I'm saying? Um, I'm not, I, I, love, I love animals. I just would love not to have one, glory to God. That's what I'm saying. So ultimately, you know, these guys, they had the cars. They had the everything. They had the girls. Everything. So you know what? I'm like, man, I guess I fit there. That's where I fit, right? So I grow up, and then I, you know, I get a little older, and then I become part of that because of this question, where do I fit? You have other people that they enter in, into alternative life, lifestyles, and, and, and we see these same things, and it's all to answer a question that lies deep within the soul of mankind. So for even that, even for that person who knew the trajectory of their life and knew where they were going and knew where they belonged and knew who their family was and they, all that stuff, this question still lies inside of their heart. It just may have been answered a little bit earlier than other people. And so this is the beauty of the gospel, though, the beauty of the gospel and, 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 and the parenthetical passage. And the reason why I say parenthetical is because I want to point out something to you. When you look at verse 1, it says this. It says, for this reason. And then look down at verse 14. Verse 14 says, for this reason. And so what we have here is it is almost as if the Apostle Paul goes, he gets ready to start this prayer, but something, and that something is the Holy Spirit, interrupts him and gives him some more words of inspiration to communicate. And so it's like a parenthesis or a parenthetical statement that the Apostle interjects here in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 through 13, and it is that God has a plan. Hear me when I say this. God has a plan for your life. Your plan, you're included in his plan, which is much larger than just you. And this plan has been in motion since eternity past. And so the beauty of this passage of scripture is that we get to see these things unfolding in front of us. And so what I want you to realize is that God's eternal plan for our lives should not only be revelation to us, but it should be realization through us. It should not just be revelation knowledge to us. It shouldn't just be something that we understand or that we mentally assent to, but it should be something that is realized or made real in our lives, that it goes from just being knowledge to being reality in us. And so that's my prayer, is that we would not just know what God thinks about us, that we would not just know what God has done for us, but that we would live that way for his glory. That you and I would know continually, you are included. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. You're, included. you're included. And look back at them and say, you too. Yeah. 
<laughs> You're included. You're included in God's plan. Glory to God. You're included. Repeat this first point after me, please. Say, Jesus must become, Jesus must become the, greatest the greatest secret, secret that we cannot keep. Jesus must become the greatest secret that we cannot keep. Now, let me ask a show of hands real quick. How many of you are great at keeping secrets? Raise your hand up if you're great at that. All right. How many of you are horrible at keeping secrets? Raise your hand. Right. I get excited about secrets. I'm not talking. Listen, when I say secrets, I want to qualify the statement, okay? I'm not talking about like my wife comes and tells me, hey, babe, I need to confess this to you. That's not the type of secret I'm talking about. I'm talking about like my daughter, you know, is going to have a surprise something, and I like just can't hold it in. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference. So if you're the type that wants to just tell all the juicy business of other people's business, you need to repent of that junk because that's, that's like being a talebearer, and the Bible don't like that. Hello, somebody. I'm just saying, I, that's, that's, I'm not talking about those kind of secrets, but see, I, I tricked you into that one, right? You're like, oh, I can't keep saying, all right, glory to God. We just want to make sure the type of secrets we're talking about. But the thing is this, that most of the time, whenever you hear something good, right, and when you hear something good and you know someone is going to be blessed, like my wife, I don't know, I don't know, my, my wife, I, I really have an amazing wife, I want you to know that, and she'll buy me stuff, and it's for my birthday, and then as soon as she buys it, she's like, do you want your gift? Yeah, I, I would like my gift. Like now, I, I, of course, I don't want to wait. Then that means for my birthday, you're going to feel like you want to buy me something else, glory to God. So I double dip, all right? Just pray for me. Um, so anyway, you know, that's how she is, though. She gets excited about these things, right, that she purchases. And so I'm sure the same thing happens to many of us is that we hear a good secret, right, something that's really good that's going to bless someone, and it's hard to keep that to ourselves. And so what Paul says here, and we'll read through verses 1 through 7 again just so we can recap, but he says this. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written, he wrote in chapter 2 about this, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery, say mystery, of Christ. Now let's pause for a moment because when he says this word mystery, it is not, you know, like it, it's, it, it's not like a mystery novel, okay? It's not that. What he's saying when he's talking about the word mystery, the word mystery means something that was not disclosed before. Okay, that's what he's talking about. When he's saying a mystery, it's something that was secret, something that was hidden is what he's talking about here. And so that's why I say Jesus has to be this best kept secret, right? He has to be this greatest secret because he was a secret. He was hidden in God, right? This revelation of who he was. And he says it here clearly in verse 5. He says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. And so what he's saying is that in other ages, men didn't understand. They didn't, they didn't fully grasp it. Even the Jewish people who were the rabbis, they didn't fully grasp what? They didn't fully grasp the coming of the Messiah. That's the reason why Jesus was rejected the way he was. Are you with me? And so this mystery that was there wasn't revealed to the sons of men in ages past as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles. And who are these apostles that he's referring to? Well, he's referring to the 12, well, the 11 apostles, right? That There's 12 at this time and, and, and the apostle Paul being a 13th apostle. But this revelation of who Jesus is is given to the apostles and the prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow. And this is what he wrote about. This is where the repetition comes in because we broke this down last 
last week in verse 6 that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, right? So it means that we should be fellow heirs with who? With the Jewish people, right? He makes one body of the same body. We partake of the same body and we partake of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace, of the the gift of the grace of God given to me by the the effective working of his power. And so Jesus is, is God, he has to be this thing that was revealed to us. I, I, I knew about Jesus before I came to him. But I'm pretty sure everyone in here can attest that there was a difference between before you committed your life to Jesus to after you committed your life to Jesus and your knowledge of who he was. Amen? It was a difference when you used to just come to church because your parents made you and you started coming to church because Jesus changed you. There's a difference, right? There, there's something that happens inside of us when I go from that place of just doing things religiously to doing something because I have had an encounter with the Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. And so we have this understanding. And so looking at the text here, a couple of things that stand out to us. Obviously, the Apostle Paul is a great example to us, right? In many things, he's a great example. But in two specific things I want you to notice here because I want to give you some application. I just don't want to give you some knowledge here. But looking at this, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Rome. Is that what it said? He didn't say anything about Rome, but he was imprisoned in Rome. He was held prisoner in Rome, but he says that he's a prisoner of who? He's a prisoner of Christ. And so what he does is the first thing that stands out to me is that the Apostle Paul is an example to us because he looks at his present circumstances as not just being something that is coincidental, not as being something that is unfair, but he sees them as being a sovereign work of God. He is acknowledging, I am a prisoner. No matter where I am, I belong to who? Jesus I belong to Jesus. He is the Lord of my life. So he is communicating this to us, which gives us a good example. The second thing is this. He goes on to to talk about this revelation that he got, and he has this desire to do what? To share the revelation. So the first thing is, although he's imprisoned in Rome, he sees himself as a prisoner of the Lord, this perspective is only the result of the revelation of Jesus to his life. The only way that he's going to have that mindset is if he really knows who Jesus is. He's trusted his whole life to Jesus, 100%. The second thing is this, is that he understood revelation from God equaled responsibility. He said he had a dispensation or this stewardship that he had. Giving a stewardship means that he was going to give an account for the gospel that God revealed to him. And so the first example that he is to us is that he trusted his life to God. The second thing is this, is that he understood that this revelation that he got was not for him alone, but he was supposed to share it with others. And so here's the thing that we should ask ourselves. Two things, looking at Paul's example here, is number one, how do I view my present circumstances? Think about that for a moment. How do you view your present circumstances? Do you see them as God is in control or do you see them as someone else is in control? The Bible does say that he's king of kings, lord of lords, right? But how do you view your circumstances? Do you understand what the scriptures teach? The scriptures teach. We're talking with the pastors this morning and I said to them, I said, I understand clearly the Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, So we have to get that, right? So who is in control of all things? Well, God Almighty is in control. Do we blame God for sin? Absolutely not, because I am accountable. We talked about this tension. I'm accountable for my sin. God is not making me sin. Hello. 
God didn't make someone sin against me. God didn't make someone do something wrong. But what happens is we have this understanding that God is this sovereign God, that he is in control of my life. My life is under his authority and under his jurisdiction and dominion. That's what I understand that the scriptures teach and obviously the apostle Paul. So the question is, how do you view your life? How do you view your circumstance? The second thing is, are you being a steward of the grace of God in the lives of others? Are you being a steward of the grace of God in the lives of others? What do you mean, Bishop? Well, what I mean is this. Are you living as an example of a life that is changed by the grace of God? Are you living a life? That's the first and foremost thing because you can't be faithful when it comes to Christianity just by holding true to a message. Are you hearing me? And what I mean by that, holding true to communicating, because the truth is this, is that we need to make sure that our lives are living the standards, right? That our lives are living to the purposes that God communicates in the word of God. Not just that I'm faithful to tell someone, hey, man, you need Jesus. Hello. We all need Jesus. That's not a question. The reality is, does my life show that Jesus is Lord of my life? Am I sharing the truth of the gospel? Am I praying to God? God, help me to be a witness to the truth of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel must be so overwhelming in our hearts that our lives display its power, but also that we sense the awe-inspiring weight of responsibility and power to be stewards of the gospel. Look at that last verse there. He says this in verse 7. He says, of which I became a minister of, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Now let me pause for a moment. Because the Apostle Paul is being very specific about himself. He's been given a gift as an apostle. Amen? This is what has happened. He's been given this gift as an apostle. You're not, you, you, you and I are not apostles in this sense, are we? Hello, say no, no. No, we're not. And so he's not saying that every Christian, and I'm definitely not saying that every Christian is an apostle like he was or has been given the same gift he was. But what I can tell you is that Jesus makes it abundantly clear to his disciples, the original 12 apostles, he makes it clear to them what? That they were supposed to go and make disciples. They were supposed to teach us or the people that they were ministering to everything that Jesus had taught them. So what does that tell us? That tells us, do you think that God wanted discipleship to die with the disciples? No. God wanted to continue that process. And what we have to realize is that the same power, we looked at this, I think, last week or the week before, it was very clear in the scriptures that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is operative where? In our lives. That same power to minister the grace of God, to minister the gospel of truth, is operative in our lives. The second thing I will ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God chooses the least of us. To share his greatness. God chooses the least of us to share his greatness. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me. It says this. It says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That word unsearchable is unfathomable. Fully, you're not fully able to comprehend the riches that there are in Christ. Again, the reason why I believe the Holy Spirit inspires repetition in the scriptures. And, verse 9, to make, all to, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. 
And so one thing it has to be certain for us is that we look at the Apostle Paul's words. And just as our perspective of our circumstances, which is that God is in control, and so we trust him as being a good and loving God, and we believe that he is going to lead us. The Bible teaches us that his plans are good and not of evil for us. Amen. I'm just saying. And so we trust him in these things. And then we realize as well that our responsibility, our mindset about our responsibility must be altered the same way. And the same thing must happen about ourselves. And one thing that I wrote down is this, is humble men run for the glory of Jesus. When I look at the Apostle Paul's situation, look at his words. If you're like a grammar freak, you just like went crazy when you saw this, okay? Because look at it. If words mean anything, this sentence makes no sense, okay? Think about what he's saying here. I, to me, who am less than the least of these, a least of all the saints. To me, how can you be less than the least? How is that possible? How is it possible to be less than the least? You can't be less than the least in, 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 in the real sense of the word. So is the Apostle Paul lying? Did the Holy Spirit mess up and make a mistake? Oops. Is that, is that what happened here? Or are we getting a glimpse into the Apostle Paul's heart? I love what one person said years and years ago. I heard them preaching this. They were talking about the Apostle Paul, and they were saying, this guy is like the ever-shrinking apostle. They said, because in one place, like 2 Corinthians, it says that he says that he doesn't come behind less of the most eminent apostles. So he doesn't call himself the highest apostle, but he's saying, hey, man, I've done everything equal with them. And you go to 1 Corinthians, right? And then he says over there, you know, he, he, ta he talks about himself in, 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 the, in the sense of saying that he is the least of the apostles. And then you come here, he talks about he's the least of the saints. And then you go to 1 Timothy, and the guy is like, I'm the chief of sinners, Right? <laughs> And so I was like, wow, man, is this, I mean, this guy, and, and what is it? Is this like false humility? Like, oh, man, I'm the least of the least? Is this like a guy walking around like, oh, my goodness, what was me? No. This is a guy that is expressing his total dependence upon God's grace. That's what he is. He is a guy that is, the, that is expressing things, that he is communicating, and letting us just glimpse just at a moment the real heart condition that he has before God, and that he doesn't see himself as being better than anyone else, but he sees himself, if he could put it that way, he would be grammatically incorrect in something that is absolutely impossible just because of the condition of his heart. But why is that? That is because of one thing, and it is the overwhelming revelation of the grace of God. It is because the Apostle Paul was the, I mean, he, he breaks down who he was, and he goes to understand that he what? That he needed Jesus. And we all know he was horrible. He persecuted the church, which I don't know. I don't know if Paul ever, I have to be honest with this, I don't know if Paul ever, like, got completely liberated from that feeling of, my goodness, man, I cannot believe I was persecuting the church. What I do know is this, is that when I read the scriptures and I look at people's lives, I see that humble men run for the glory of God. You can write the scripture down. You don't have to turn there. It's a, it's a reference to the Old Testament because there's something that is said about a guy by the name of Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel, and it's in, it's in 1, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 17, and he says something amazing. Samuel the prophet is speaking prophetically. He's talking about coming out of prayer, and he says this to, he says this to Saul, and this is a word from the Lord for him. He says, when you were small in your own eyes, did I not make you? And he goes on. He was the king over Israel. He was the anointed one over Israel. And so when God is saying this, when you were small, well, why did Saul all of a sudden have the kingdom torn from him? Because he was no longer small in his own eyes. 
Because he was no longer humble the way he should have been. He was no longer the guy that was hiding among the baggage, okay? That, that's what he was. When they were trying to anoint him, he was hiding. Like, where? hold on a second. We need this guy. And he was there. Why? There was something that changed in his heart. Because when you continue on the story, he was concerned about one thing. Well, the people were here looking at me. Hello. He was worried about his reputation more than what? The glory of God. But people who have had an encounter with Jesus, and when I say man, I don't mean in masculine, I mean in general, humble people, hum, those who are humbled by the grace and revelation of who God is, they run for the glory of God, not for the glory of themselves. They run for the glory of Jesus. They live. And so we have to have the right perspective as far as how, how we are supposed to trust and depend on this glorious gospel. The second thing is this. He says this in verse, in verse 9. He said, and to make, he was, his, his point was, well, in the middle of verse 8, he said that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, the unfathomable riches of Christ, the things that we are only going to know in part this side of heaven, okay, the things that we will only know in part until we are totally removed from this flesh and we are in the glorious presence of God. Well, he says, I've been entrusted to share these glorious riches with the, with, 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 with the Gentiles, and he goes on in verse 9, and he says, to make all see what is the fellowship. Now, pause for a moment. When he says to make all see, there's a force behind that statement, but it isn't that he is trying to convert everyone's thinking. It is simply that he knows he's not the Savior. He is to communicate with everyone on every opportunity that he has of what? The glory of who God is. That he is to communicate these things. And so the first thing that we have is that we understand that we must have the right perspectives. And the second thing, as we consider, see, for us as people, as we consider the unfathomable reality of God's love for us that is demonstrated in Jesus, it can become overwhelming to think. See, sometimes when we start to sit down and we start thinking about, man, Jesus did all of that for me. Jesus did, and, and we really start to get into this, and then I, I was talking to my connect group. I said, one of the things that is the most difficult thing for me is to translate what I am studying by myself and to communicate it faithfully to you because I'm overwhelmed. I, told, I was telling my connect group last week, I'm like, guys, I want you to know when you get like an aha moment, trust me, I had 50 of them before I brought it to you. And I'm trying to be faithful to communicate as much as I can the truths of God's word. And so I would assume when someone is sitting down with God and someone is being overwhelmed by these truths, it must be overwhelming to some degree to think, man, I almost get this because if it's unfathomable, that means you're not going to fully get this. And not only do I almost get this, but at this point that I almost get it, I have to share it with other people. Hello. That can become overwhelming, but can I encourage you? You need to remember this one thing. A life that has been changed by the gospel is a life that can be used to change others by the gospel. And so if we'll just be faithful with what God entrusts us with, with the revelation of who he is, with what he gives us in the scriptures, then we will be able to be used by him greatly to bring change to lives. And listen, church, that is part of being a disciple of Jesus. It is bringing forth the same message to all of those who need to hear it the same way that you and I needed to hear it. Amen? The third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God's intentions for us are far greater than our greatest aspirations. God's intentions for us are far greater than our greatest aspirations. Look at verses 10 through 13 with me. He says, to the intent. Say, to the intent. 
I want you to see that there is an intention that is here that is communicated in the scripture. So God has an intention with all of these things, the communication of the gospel, the the bringing forth this mystery. It is to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, that is us, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is to your glory. And verse 13 is another communication of Paul's heart of humility. He doesn't want them to be overwhelmed by his tribulation, but he wants them to realize that that everything that he's going through is for the glory of God and hence for their glory as well. But what we see here is that the intent of God, I, I, when, I, when I read this, I was like, wow, man, that's pretty awesome. Because I'm reading this and I'm trying to like, okay, maybe there's something that I'm not totally understanding. But the intent of God is to make us, is to make his manifold wisdom known by us to celestial beings. Are you seeing that? He says that it is to make his manifold wisdom known or his manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And so when I say that God's intentions for us are far greater than our greatest aspirations, I don't know of anyone that I have met yet that aspired to um, be a teacher to spirit beings. Are you hearing me? I don't know anybody who's, who's ever wanted to, well, you know, my goal in life is that when I grow up, I want to be a teacher to the spirit realm, right? I mean, there may be someone crazy like that. I haven't met them yet. I'm just saying I haven't met them. Maybe you have, Glory. I'm just saying it could have happened. But the point is, when we look at what God's intention is in comparison to what our intentions may be, I think that God's intentions may be a little higher. They may be a little bit greater. His, his, his will for our lives may be a little bit greater. And the reason why I bring this up is because anyone who has, who has you know, been in school for a little bit of time, I don't know, I think I, I was probably in middle school or something like that. I dropped out of ninth grade, so it was probably in middle school that I heard this. But, you know, they started talking to us about setting goals, right? You, start, you learn about setting goals. And I remember um, being in, like, my second year of Bible college, they talked about setting goals. They were like, you know, you should have long-term goals, you should have short-term goals, and then you should have immediate goals. And so they were like, long-term goals, like 10, you know, like 10 years to lifetime goals. Goals. And then, you know, you should have short-term goals, you know, like a year to five years. And then you should have those immediate goals. And, 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 and that was the one that stood out for me because they were like, okay, what are you going to do today that is going to help you to get there in 10 years? Because a lot of us are like, yeah, I got this great 10-year plan. I got this great five-year plan. But the question is, what are you doing today to get you to that place? But here's, here, I say all that to say this is that we can all write down our goals and we can write down our plans and we can do all of those things, but we should realize God's plans. We, we should most definitely include him in the process of deciding what we are going to do with our lives. Hello. We should definitely consult him. I've heard so many stories of people, and it's not always like people who were Christian, I mean, who were, who were unsaved and then became Christian, but I've heard stories of Christian people who go to college and then they change their major in the middle of something because the Lord spoke to them. I'm just thinking it might have cost you a little bit less had you consulted with the Lord earlier than midway in college. I'm just, I'm just thinking maybe for those of you that are younger, like start asking him now, like before you get to college, like, God, what is your will for my life in a practical level? But as a church, 
on a church, on an ecclesiastical level, what does God communicate his intention is? His intention is to teach something to the spirit beings between you and I. He wants to use us to show forth his manifold. And that, that, that word manifold is variegated or marked with great variety of colors. And so what God wants to show is he wants to show his manifold wisdom, his many aspects of his wisdom. How is that? Because how he saved me, how he saved you, how he healed that marriage, how he, de- how he dealt with those relationships, his manifold wisdom. He wants to use his church, us, to communicate to the spirit realm, to communicate to these principalities and powers of his power, of his might, of the power of his gospel. That we are literally, when we look at this, it is literally like we are a movie being played continuously before the spirit realm. Doesn't that put a little bit of weight on you that you should live your life according to the glorious will of God? You should live according to God's plans, according to God's purposes. And see, the beauty of this is that it doesn't just end with us telling spirit beings, but as we're living for the glory of Jesus, this world gets to see the manifold wisdom of God. This world gets to see the manifold grace of God. We're reminded, as, as, as Paul continues, he goes on and he says, according to, in verse 11, according to the eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want you to get this. Eternal purposes. Say eternal purposes. You and I are not an afterthought. We're an eternal thought. Are you hearing that? We're not an afterthought. We didn't just, all of a sudden we were born, and, okay, I got a plan for them. No, no, no. You were an eternal thought. You were in God's thoughts. You were in God's heart eternally. His plans from eternity past. He's talking about his plan. And so he wants us to continue or to recognize in Christ the first part of the plan is give your life to Jesus. That's the first part of the plan. The first part of the plan is to come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus is and from that place on bring glory and honor to him through the way that you will live all of your days on this earth. That is his, that is his eternal plan that he has accomplished through what? The first part of that plan is accomplished by Jesus no one else. It is accomplished by his saving work in our lives. Accomplished through him, in verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. And so he reminds us as well that we are, we are reminded of that this honor and privilege is solely due to the eternal purpose that was accomplished in Christ Jesus. And that in him we have boldness and confidence to access God by faith. Why does that matter? You and I will never accomplish eternal purposes without eternal power. You and I will never accomplish God's will without God's grace. We will never, and so we need to be reminded, God is not asking us to carry this glory all on our own. He is asking us to carry his glory by his grace. He offers us this grace for us to live this way. God calls us to be those who declare his glory, but we must recognize the magnitude of this task. I mean, it's a big task. In my opinion, it is the biggest task. The most important thing is to be a declarer of the manifold wisdom and grace of God. We also need to do something else. You need to believe that you have been chosen to be that one who bears the image of God. Are you hearing me? This is not something that's for a couple of people in the building. This is for every one of us that is in the building, from the youngest of us to the eldest of us. It is for all of us to be those God chose you. And listen, if you are not part of God's family, if you are not God's child today, he is calling you to become his child today, and that way you can be one who carries his glory. 
That way you can be that person. So we have to see the vastness, how big and major this is, but we also need to believe that God chose us, and then we need to remain wholeheartedly dependent upon him to accomplish his will for our lives. Not dependent on myself, not dependent on my own ability, not dependent on my experiences yesterday or 10 years ago, but that I am dependent every day, that I need grace. The Bible says his mercies are new every day, so that would lead me to believe that I need his mercies every day. I'm just saying, that would lead me to believe that I need the grace of God continually operating in my life. I need the grace of God to be there. I don't depend on anything else except his grace to accomplish his purposes for his glory. And so as I close There's a couple of questions that I'll ask you is this. And the first one is this. Are you living for the eternal plan God included you in? And to help you answer that question, for whose glory do you live? Because I can say, yeah, I'm living for his plan, but are you living for your glory or are you living for his glory? Is it really all about Jesus as we sing today in your life? Or is it about something else? Amen. Is it really about him? Is it really about making his name known? So for those of you that are in this place and you have not made a commitment to Jesus, the question is, have you submitted your life to him? I'm not just talking about a prayer. I've had conversations with people and asked them about their commitment to Jesus, and they tell me about something they did in a backyard Bible school when they were eight years old. And their life today doesn't look anything like what they did when they were eight years old. And the reason why this is so important is because if we are not committed to Jesus, then we have an eternal problem of separation from God in hell. And I don't know, I don't want anyone that I know that I ever make eye contact with to spend eternity separated from God suffering in hell. But you know what? It's not about what I want. God loves you more than I will ever. His love is great. So the question is, have you made a commitment to Christ? Not a prayer, total surrender. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. I'm not asking if you're perfect. I'm asking you, have you made that total surrender to Jesus? Maybe you've already made that surrender to Jesus. Have you embraced the fact that God doesn't call the people who are qualified? He qualifies the called. One of the most cliche-ish things that I've that, that, that I've that I've said in a long time. But I remember that from a long time. God does not, He takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. What, what, what does that mean? That he doesn't call qualified people? That's not what that means. He's saying that no matter how qualified you are, you still got to be qualified by Him. Amen. I'm just saying. You can be a great, you can listen. The worst thing for someone to do, if they're going to be a preacher, you were a great salesman and then you become a preacher. Can you be anointed first? I'm just saying, right? <laughs> you come, you come you're, you're a great communicator and you know how to communicate well, but do you know Jesus? Because you can make it sound like you know Jesus. You can go ahead and read the Bible and get, you know, 10 points of how to do this and that, and you can use Scripture to make all your points. I'm just saying. But God wants us to experience his qualification in our lives. He want, and, and, for, and for the other, for the other people that, you know, you don't feel qualified. You're like Paul when, you, when he communicates, I'm, the, I'm, I'm, the, I'm less than the least of these. Hello? He's the one that calls us and equips us. And the third thing is, have you come to terms with the magnitude of God's purpose for your life as part of his church? Have you come to understand that it is not just about you alone? It is about his church communicating his glory. 
We do it individually, absolutely. We do it in our homes as, as, as men, women, children. We do it in our workplaces as individuals. But we do it as a body. I think Pastor Chad, when he was praying over communion, he was talking about, you know, us having that love of God that, that marks us, that Jesus says it will be marked by the love that we have for one another. And so there is glory that comes when we realize these things as a church. And my challenge, and this is what I leave you with, my challenge is this is that if you are not already doing this, that you would begin. And if you are already doing this, then you would continue to do so. But that you would live your life from the understanding that God himself included you in his eternal plan and intention, and your life should reflect that. Stand to your feet and bow your heads with me, please. Hallelujah. Grab your neighbor's hand, please, and let's pray together. And I just want you to do something as you have your hands held there. If, you, if, you're, if you're in this place today and you have a burdened heart, normally I would, I, I would open the altar and ask you to come forward, but we all need to learn to minister the power of the Holy Spirit because we are all, as his children, filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that I've always wanted to do is to make sure that the church understands that God has filled you with power to minister to others. And so with your head bowed, with your eyes closed there, as you're meditating on the Lord, if you need someone to pray for you, I just want you to squeeze your neighbor's hand. Squeeze their hand. Let them know you need someone to pray for you. Let them know you, 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 just, you need someone to pray, and so they're going to be that point of contact that as I pray for you today, and if you have something specific and you squeeze that neighbor's hand, don't be ashamed to lean over and share that with them. Or if someone squeezes your hand, if you want to lean over and ask them, then, you know, do that. But minister unto that one that is next to you if they need to pray, if they squeeze your hand today. And as you, as, as you consider those things, one last thing that I want to say, if you are not a believer in this place today and you do not know Jesus, Jesus died for your sins. He died so that way you could be his child. But you have to recognize that you are a sinner. You have to recognize that you've been separated from God because of your sin. And if you recognize that you need him today, you simply pray a prayer unto him, asking him to forgive your sins, asking him to fill your heart with his spirit, his power, and asking him to lead your life from this day forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we come to you, Lord God, as your sons and as your daughters. And God, I do know, Heavenly Father, that there are hands that were squeezed throughout this place, and I thank you for that, God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that even as you have filled us with gifts, Lord God, and your manifold grace, Lord, can be manifested through us, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill my brothers and sisters, Lord God, those who are ministering and those who are being ministered to, my God. Father, I pray that you would meet them in their point of need, my God. Wherever they are, whatever they are facing, whatever they are fighting, God, I pray for those, Heavenly Father, Father, that they would find grace, that they would find strength. Father God, for those who are in need of wisdom, my God, those who have come to their wits end, my God, those who are broken and hurting, my God, bring healing and restoration to those hearts, my God. Father God, strengthen faith today, Lord God. Revive vision today, my God. Lord, deal with our hearts as your sons, as your daughters. Lord God, glorify yourself in all of us in this place. Heavenly Father, I pray against the plans of the enemy, against 
the lives of my brothers and sisters, my God. Father, I pray that we would recognize that we have been included in your plan and in your purposes for your body. And may we bring you glory. May we bring you honor. May we bring you praise as you truly and surely are worthy of, my God. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for those in here that may not know you, my God, that you would draw their hearts to you today. Lord God, that they would commit themselves, Lord God, that they would submit to the conviction of your Holy Spirit, that they would surrender to you, my God, and that your power would be manifested in them, my God, that they would become your child and serve you faithfully, my God. Father, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your love, God. Thank you for including us. We give you all praise and we give you all glory. In Jesus' name, someone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.